Greetings from Soundography, a crash course in music, one band at a time. I'm Brian Ibbett. And last time I checked, I'm Hammond Chamberlain. <laughs> it looks You look like Hammond Chamberlain from here, so I think that's good. Uh, yeah, welcome to another episode of Soundography, where we go through a band's entire library of music and uh, see what things look like on the other side. This is a fun one because we're going back to... Britpop, which is, you know, one of my favorite genres. This is a band that came up, I think, for me on one of those one of those Q Magazine ride-along CDs, the CDs that are stuck to the front cover at Barnes & Noble, unless you happen to get there after some unscrupulous jackass takes the uh, takes the disc. Oh, that jackass visits your store too? Yeah, yeah. Visits my store too, that jackass. But those, you know, those those CDs were great for discovering new music, and and on those would be stuff like Blur and Oasis, and you know your your standards. And then there were these other bands that I never heard of, like Sleeper and Mogwai and um, and Manic Street Preachers. And you'd get a song and be like, "Ooh, I like this a lot," and you'd go and discover more by them. And that's exactly what happened with these guys. Manic Street Preachers is a band that was formed in 1986 in South Wales. The time consisted of cousins James Dean Bradfield and Sean Moore. Uh, Nicky Wire soon joined them on bass. In 1988, they released their first single, Suicide Alley, and it was punk in its tone and vibe. They wanted to bring revolution rock back to Britain at a time that was ruled by shoegaze and acid house. And they were signed to Damage Goods Records and they released a couple of EPs, the New Art Riot EP in 1990, and then a couple of years later, the Stars and Stripes EP in 1992. They released a charity single also in 1992, and it was a cover of the theme from MASH, Suicide is Painless. The band developed a reputation for controversial behavior and that helped them develop a very rabid fan base. That same year, 1992, they released their first album called Generation Terrorists. The lyrics of the album were politically charged. This really set up like what they would uh, ultimately become, focused on capitalism and or personal despair. The tone of the album was a balance of punk, glam, and new romantic, clearly following the pattern of The Clash's London Calling. Motorcycle Emptiness uh, criticized consumerism, and Shallow Dream touched on commercialism. Tracy Lords, yeah, the, the former porn star, sang on Little Baby Note Nothing in a duet with Bradfield. The album Generation Terrorist sold 250,000 copies, and they released six singles from it. Suicide is Painless peaked at number seven and spent three weeks in the top ten. And today I learned that that was a single. Hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, in 1983, Gold Against the Soul was released. The tone was a bit more grunge and the sound a little bit more commercial. And this really caused issue with a lot of the older fans who'd heard them rant about being commercial. Bet. This is like this is a band that that probably sings against selling out, and their fans might have felt like they did that when they went into more commercial direction. It uh, it sounded like a real evolution from the first album, and the band has said though that this is their least favorite album. In 1994, they followed it up with the Holy Bible. When it was released, it was critically acclaimed, but it didn't sell well. It also showed another shift in musical style from a modern rock sound to a more alternative feel. And there were other things in there too. There was hard rock, punk, new wave, industrial, art rock, and gothic rock. And when we get to my playlist, I'm going to talk a lot about those changing styles. The 
lyrics, by the way, dealt with issues like imperialism, capitalism, free speech, prostitution, suicide, and other light topics. <laughs> the musical style is the only thing that separates these guys from Slayer. Yeah, with their with their subject matter. <laughs> yep. And it's, and it's true. The song 4ST and 7LB is about four stones, seven pounds. Four stones, seven pounds equals about 63 pounds because it's the line at which death is inevitable for somebody who suffers from anorexia. That's, I did not know that. That's crazy. Faster was the first single from this album. It reached number 16 on the charts. Then we get to some dark times for Manic Street Preachers. Richie Edwards disappeared on February 1st, 1995. He had withdrawn money from his account. He checked out of the hotel that he was staying in, and he went home. Later, his car was found near the Severn Bridge, which is a bridge that separates England from Wales. It's also a popular place for suicides, and it's believed that he jumped from the bridge. But people have reportedly seen him in a wide variety of places all around the world. Kind of like Elvis. Well, I was going to keep that joke out just because this is still... It's too meaning. obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you call me Captain Low Hanging Fruit. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's hovering over a poker game and disconnected. <laughs> this album has been seen in retrospect as not exactly a suicide note, but a warning of what could happen. And officially, uh, Richie Edwards was legally declared dead in 2008. The band still sets up a mic for him at live shows. In 1984, 1994, they released an EP called Life Becoming a Landslide. Then, a couple years later, in 1996, the album Everything Must Go. When it was released, it debuted at number two. It has been uh, certified triple platinum, and it's their best-selling album to date. Yeah, it's been 103 weeks in the top 100. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is the album that I first listened to by them. This was, um, I think the title track was the one that appeared on that that bonus CD, and it made me go and check out the album and, and kind of get hooked on it. By the way, kind of an interesting thing, right? 1994, they released the Holy Bible, which is, you know, uh, a year later, their guitarist disappears. And then they still release another album a year after that. Like that's, you know, other bands break up or they take some time off or something like that. But these guys were ready with another album a year later. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't, it wasn't specific that it was dedicated to Edwards, you know? Cliff Burton was killed in a bus accident in September of 86, and I think it's like July or August of 88, and Justice for All released with a new bass player, but they'd released um, Garage Days Re-Revisited with him less than a year after Cliff died. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I guess that's yeah similar kind of situation. A Design for Life. The, uh, the the single first single from Everything Must Go reached number two on the charts. Uh, Design for Life and Pure Motive were written quickly and are credited for bringing the band out of their despair. And they won two Brit Awards for this album. Other singles from the album were Australia, the title track Everything Must Go, and Kevin Carter. In 1998, they released This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. This was their first number one album, sold 136,000 copies in the first week, and it spent 74 weeks on the charts. If you tolerate this, your children will be next. 
guess that's all one song title was a number one single. And this actually holds a world record for the longest song title without brackets. That's amazing. Uh, as long as, like, what's the qualifier? Because I know there have been, there have to have been longer song titles. Probably punctuation. Or, well, let like me rephrase that. Brackets, let me rephrase so. that. Like, as a single, because this was a single, so is it the longest uh, title released as a single without brackets? Because I'm thinking, like, uh, when the world is running down, you make the best of what's still around might be... I wonder how, which which one of these have more characters. <laughs> yes, put them on Twitter. Let's figure it out. Yeah, they're kidding. I'll have to look that up. I'm curious about that. They also released You Stole the Sun from My Heart, Tsunami, and The Everlasting as singles from this album. In 2000, they released the limited edition single, The Masses Against the Classes. This sold 75,000 copies in the first week. And in. I guess it's not that limited then, is it? No, 75,000 isn't very limited. I guess it is if, you know, the album itself sells nearly twice that. But yeah. In 2001, they were the first Western rock band to play in Cuba at the Karl Marx Theater. The concert was later released on DVD. Uh, 2001, they released Know Your Enemy. The content in Cuba featured a number of songs from this album, so they kind of premiered them there. Their left-wing political views were just put plain in the lyrics of the album. They wrote a song called Baby Elion to talk about the strained relationship of Cuba and the U.S. after Elian Gonzalez. And Ocean Spray, the song uh, on that album, was released uh, was written about James's mother's battle with cancer. All I can think about when I think about Elian Gonzalez now is the robot chicken sketch from that first season. Oh, really? Where they, all, yeah. all I can think of is the photo. Just that photo of the soldier holding him with his arms reaching mm-hmm. out, the look on his face. Yeah, boy, things have changed so much when that was like, that was talked about for so long. And, and uh, man, stuff changed. <laughs> yeah, the news. it's funny how the news cycle actually sat on him for a while. And I don't think the news cycle would even blink now. Yeah, no, it's true. 2002, they released Forever Delayed. This was a DVD and CD collection of hits and promo videos. I've got that one. And I also have the next one. The next year, they released Lipstick Lipstick Traces, A Secret History of Manic Street Preachers. This actually contained the last song that Edwards worked on and was another B-sides and rarities and hits collection. In 2004, they released Lifeblood. Wire said that the themes of this album were introspective and they dealt with the past, solitude, and personal ghosts. The album doesn't seek to exercise Edward's ghost, just admit that there are no answers. Empty Souls and the Love of Richard Nixon were the two singles released from this album. In 2005, they released God Save the Mannix. This was an EP uh, that were given to people that was given to people who attended their live shows. After physical copies were gone, they made it available as an online download. In 2007, Send Away the Tigers was released. This entered the charts at number two. Uh, reviews said it was their best album in 10 years. They made Underdogs available from their website as a download. Their first single was Your Love Alone Is Not Enough and uh, featured a guest vocal appearance from Nina Persson from The Cardigans. She's a love fool. I love I love that they do a duet, though, because it's not something you usually hear with James Dean Bradfield is, is introducing another voice to go with them on the songs. Autumn Song, which begins with such a great guitar intro. Indian Summer, and uh, those are the second and third singles released from this album. The Ghosts of Christmas was released through their website in December of 2007. And then a couple of years later, Journal for, Journal for Plague Lovers. This album uh, contained lyrics left behind by Edwards. The album cover caused controversy and had to be sold in a slipcase, which is interesting because it's just a it's just a crude painting, if I remember correctly. Do you know why that was controversial? I remember I looked it up when I wrote the notes. 
and I didn't put any notes in because I was like, eh, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a really rough painting of a uh, of a boy's face. Maybe it's because it looks, from the paint job, it looks like it could actually be bruises and blood. I don't know. Let's see here. Yeah, there we go. That's exactly right. The cover was deemed inappropriate due to the belief that the red on the boy's face was blood. Bradfield said that the decision was utterly bizarre and commented, you can have lovely shiny buttocks and guns everywhere in the supermarket on covers of magazines and CDs, but you show a piece of art and people just freak out. (laughs) It's true. It's true because, you know, you look at it and it really just could be shading or it could be just an artistic style choice by the painter. But for whatever reason, somebody looked at that and said, oh, it's the kid is bloody. And don't forget that that typo negative uh, cover, the one that was super close, <laughs> yes. that made it onto shelves. Yeah, no kidding. Good point. Oh, gross. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, several of the tracks dealt with uh, time Edwards is spent in hospitals, like she bathed in a bath of bleach. Uh, that sounds like something you say to prepare to speak publicly, like it exercises your mouth. Oh, yeah, that'd be a great, like, She uh, bathed loosener. in a bath of bleach. She bathed in a bath of bleach. See, I can't, it's like a tongue twister, too. <laughs> oh, Williams' yeah. last words have been compared to a suicide note, but Wire rejects that idea. 2009 Journal for, Pla- Journal for Plague Lovers Remixes EP. See, even that alone is a tongue twister. It's a collection of remixes, as you could guess, from songs from the album. And the next year, 2010, brought us postcards from a young man. Uh, James Dean Bradfield said that this was just outright pop. The first single was It's Not War, Just the End of Love. Duff McKagan from uh, Guns N' Roses. He appeared on this album, and it was mixed in the U.S. by Chris Lord, Al- Lord Algie, who makes some amazing plugins. And I use like two or three of them in every single episode of Sound Dogs. Oh, uh, cool. Is that the uh, that's the guy who does the sound waves or uh, uh-huh. waves? He's part of. Yeah. He's got a yeah. He's got a contract with Waves, and he's got some uh, signature series plugins. And I use. Uh, Vocal, CLA vocals, uh, CLA mixdown. Okay, that's cool. That's a that's uh awesome to to get a little connection there. I like that a lot. Uh, the album cover, by the way, featured a picture of uh, Tim Roth. Yeah, the actor who was in uh, Hammond Chamberlain's favorite movie, Pulp Fiction, uh, <laughs> on that uh, on that album cover. Like a, a black and white uh, selfie, it looks like, but it's a selfie with a Polaroid, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I have a hard time with. Polaroid. I know you do. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. Oh, and I know. And 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 for people who are going to send me emails and stuff, I have tried no less than 10 times to sit through the movie and find out why people like it. Mm-hmm. And all it does is embolden my hate yeah. of that film. Not everybody's going to like everything, and I think it's totally fine with that. Next year, they released National Treasures. Uh, boy, how many— This cover has Nicholas—the cover of this album has Nicholas Cage on it. Yeah, he's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the uh, there's another singles uh, greatest hits release. This one featured a cover of "This Is the Day" by The The. I love it when a band covers another favorite band of mine. Oh, it's always so we cool. really we really need to cover The The because we talk about them at least two or three times a season. You know what? We totally do. I would I would love to to do The The on this show because here's a band that would that starts out with stuff that that I think you would like more than me then gets into stuff that I think I like more than you and then ends up in a place that I think is stuff you'd like more than me. So it's, 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 it would be like if we drew our level of excitement for each album, uh, mine would be a wave cresting in the middle. Yours would be a wave that crests on the ends, I think. Okay. I'm totally in. Yeah. I, uh, we, yeah, I'm totally Next in. season, the, the, Matt okay. Johnson. Okay. Cool. Okay, I'm in. In 2012, a documentary and reissue of Generation Terrorists was made available in five versions. They kind of did this a lot, like a reissue, uh, reissues of all of their old albums uh, 10 years after. In 2013, they released Rewind the Film. Before the album was released, they released a statement saying that the album was recorded without electric guitars. They also said they'd have had enough material for two albums which I'm glad they didn't release them back-to-back like Guns N' Roses did because we know how that worked out for them. (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, Show Me the Wonder was released as the first single. If you're exiled by a 
the album reached number four on the UK album charts. The next single was Anthem for a Lost Cause. 2014 saw the release of Futurology. This one was met with immediate and high praise. The first single was Walk Me to the Bridge. This is seen by the band as their most positive album ever. The band said that Rewind was a 45-year look in the mirror while Futurology was looking forward, and the title track was released as the second single. In 2016, they recorded Together Stronger, Come Wales, for UEF... Come on, come on, Wales! Oh, come on, that was, that's C-M-O-N. That was a, come on! Oh, sorry. Yeah, I thought sorry. that was like a Welsh thing, like, Come, come Wales! <laughs> for UEFA Euro 2016, all the proceeds went to charity. Gotcha. So it's a, it's a, uh, a soccer. Uh, I'm sorry. It's a football. I think it's a soccer song. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. Uh, Lightning Seeds did a great one for Three Lions when um, Liverpool, I think, uh, brought the trophy home. That's so cool. My only addition to this conversation is the Super Bowl shuffle. So maybe we'll just stop with you. <laughs> yes, we really. It is a good place to, <laughs> shut up, to stop. <laughs> In 2017, they revealed work on a new documentary project called Escape from History. This covered their time from Holy Bible, the disappearance of Edwards, to Everything Must Go. I want to see that. 2018 saw Resistance is Futile. No no Borgs harmed in the making of that album. But this album dealt with the topics of memory and loss. It was melodic and showed new areas of songwriting and creativity. couple singles from the album, International Blue and Distant Colors, were the first and second singles. And in 2021, just last year, these guys released the ultra-vivid Lament. The song Orwellian was released in May as the first single. Uh, before we get into statistics and general notes, we haven't talked about how we enjoyed this week. Uh, I, I'll go first because it's obvious. I, okay. I love this yeah. band, and I even had my my five songs picked out, I think, before we started the week. You had four of the five picked out. I had four of the five, Before yeah. I got into the notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been, uh, no shock, a big a big fan of these guys for a long time, and so I was excited when we had them in our in our list to cover. But how, how about uh, for you? So for me, this was very much like sitting on a weeble wobble from like the 70s because I I kept kind of changing direction, but I always kind of landed somewhere comfortable with it. So it was always kind of knocking me about, but I never fell off to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm done. I I don't know what Brian, two songs I'm out. Right. But I always kind of found things to enjoy. And as we get to the lists... I'm going to talk about that because the thing that I I really enjoyed was the fact that every album seemed to be almost a reinvention of sound and and identity yeah. and message. Yeah, with the very with, with the uh, the through line being James D, James Dean Bradfield's voice, which I don't yeah. think has changed in twelve albums. Like I think his no, you could plug his vocals into any of these albums and he sounds the same. But they're their arrangements, their their guitars, their drums, everything sounds fresh every time. Yeah, it feels like they've been able to evolve musically around him being the anchor point for fans to kind of hang on to. Yeah. Because we talk about this all the time about how bands don't evolve and they just kind of stay. Yeah. And the fans enjoy the sameness, but then they complain about the sameness, but the bands get frustrated <laughs> at the sameness. Exactly. they want to involve. It's a double-edged sword, so right? Tra- yeah. yeah, so they get caught in this trap. And these guys have kind of solved it by evolving the music, but keeping him yeah. rooted where he's always been. True. Yeah, totally true. The, um, you, the Talking about this, you know, and talking about the wave, the description of the wave, how fun would it be? And how I wonder how easily we, we could do this 
creating a, like if we did a one to 10 rating of each album, how much we enjoyed each album when we do a band. And then we we overlaid a graph, like, you know, (laughs) me is blue, you is green or something like that uh, to show where, like where we connected, where we, you know, I think that'd be so cool. Let's start that with, uh, we'll start that with the Go-Go's next week. A spoiler alert, we're okay, doing the Go-Go's yeah. next week. <laughs> all, all four of their albums. I know. It's, we're starting with the one with like, you know, the tiniest graph, but maybe that's maybe that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, and you mentioned, uh, you threw me into a panic last week when you're like, let's talk about other solo projects. I'm like, <laughs> no, oh, no, man. I'm not asking you to listen to uh, any of Jane Weedland's wacky vegan solo albums or... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Kathy Valentine's tr- great guitar work, but not strong vocal work from her albums, and, and yeah, or, or or Belinda Carlisle's trounce through pop music. It really was, yeah. <laughs> Heaven is not a place on earth, Belinda. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, the thing is, though, that song is so damn catchy. If it I hear is. it now, it still gets stuck in my head. Just saying the words now, it's in my head. I that know. song, yeah, I know. Oh, well. Oh, by the way, my brother-in-law told me he wanted me to thank you and me out loud that we got Angry Chair stuck in his head for the better part of three days after he listened to Alice in Chains. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we could help with that. Yeah. Excellent. So, Matt, this one's for you. <laughs> that was that was back in just by mentioning yep. <laughs> it. All right. Tell me about uh, statistics and general notes for uh, Manic Street okay, Creatures. So th- the main thing I wanted to mention is that they really celebrated their releases as they reach landmarks, 10 years, and they had cool remasters and box sets and all kinds of things. They were kind of celebrating these landmarks and time markers that bands should celebrate more often. It's it's rare for bands to last as long as these guys have, mm-hmm. but as bands have started hitting these marks, we've been seeing more of these celebrations. Like Metallica just did this huge 40th anniversary thing not too long ago. So it, it's nice to see bands sticking together and celebrating their longevity. For sure. Yeah. Also, uh, Bradfield and Wire did some solo work as well, which is impressive God. considering the amount of albums they have done on top of touring. And yeah, what have they had the, the time? Panic. Jeez. I know, they're, they're time lords. <laughs> they are. Oh, there we go. That explains it. Each of them have their own TARDIS, and they go back. And <laughs> and the, also, for Brian's sake, I put in there, these guys have done a crap ton of covers. Yeah, they have. Yeah, there's great stuff too, like Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head and John Lennon's uh, Working Class Hero. I was, I'd forgotten about that one when it came up in the albums. I'm like, oh, this is such a good cover too. But sadly, you'd already picked all of your songs. I mean, I could have easily changed them out, but there were, <laughs> you know, any of those other covers I didn't like as much as what I put in the list. And yeah, a couple of them are oh, singles, but who cares? I know. And, and, and that's the thing is with a band like this, when you go love them as much as as you do, or yeah. like well, bands we've covered that I love as much. Yeah. You like when we've covered bands that I love, I'm like, you go ahead and pick all the things you want. I can pick yeah, around. Right. Yeah. It's true. I could have easily done that with, with, uh, with this yeah. one. For you. All right. Well, let's talk about, uh, their stairway to heaven song. This is the song that you hear them do in concert and, uh, every concert they'll do this song because it is their biggest hit or the song that they're most known for. Uh, Hammond, what are our choices? Okay, so I'm basing this strictly off of my listen on Spotify. So as I was going through things, uh, listening, I'm only kind of half marking down the things I've heard more than once on things. So I put, you love us. If you tolerate this, your children will be next. Everything must go or design for life. And I like the last two, everything must go or design for life. The two picks, I have no idea. Uh, You named uh, several in their top 10. The number one being, you love us. As, as a concert song, seeing the title is kind of kind of funny. Hey, you love us. That's why you yeah. came and saw us in yeah. concert. Uh, Motorcycle Emptiness, number two, Designed for Life, three. If You Tolerate This and Motown Junk, tied for fourth. You Stole the Sun from My Heart, uh, six, Everything Must Go, seven, Love is Not Enough, eight, Tsunami and Faster, coming in nine and ten. Uh, Suicide is Painless is their most played cover in concert, no surprise there. Um, uh, and raindrops keep falling on my head. 
It's So Easy by Guns N' Roses, possibly with uh, Duff. Yeah, possibly. Penny Royalty by Nirvana, they cover that. It's weird. I know that it's not the It's So Easy, It's So Easy, whoa, yeah, right. it's definitely not. That. But every time I hear the title, that's all yeah, I think about is Guns N' Roses and Axel singing that yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. I didn't catch this this uh, track title, but they've got a song called If White America Told the Truth for One Day, Its World Would Fall Apart. <laughs> <laughs> If that doesn't sum up the attitude of Manic Street Preachers in one song title, I don't know what would. All right. Well, speaking of covers, let's talk about who he would. we would like to hear them cover. Uh, I will start this one uh, only because it's because of those, those QCDs. It's a band that I connect with Manic Street Preachers and it's Oasis. I picked Don't Look Back in Anger because... Uh, Noel Gallagher's vocals on that one go from the low in the in the lyrics to the high, like he goes up an octave uh, for the choruses, which makes it very hard for me to sing on rock band. I must uh, point out, <laughs> so I don't anymore. Uh, but James Dean Bradfield, you know, he's brilliant in both vocal registers. He's great low, he's great high, and this would be such a showcase for his voice. Love to hear Mannix cover Oasis. Hammond, I'm on pins and needles. What have you chosen for us? So after going through, I, I, after I listened to Manic Street Preachers and I did the notes, which is a while yeah. ago, I kind of got back into some of the things we've been listening to in the past. And I went, of course, to a, a nice warm blanket that is Alan Parsons. <laughs> Are you just going to blow the lid off this now? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> hopefully people have picked up on this. But, uh <laughs> If they're not, then I'm realizing they're not listening this far. In the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're not making it past the uh, Stairway to Heaven song. Yep, that's it. They're quitting. I think I can guess what your uh, stair or what your uh, your pick for their cover is, Ham, because I can read your mind. You know what, Brian? You're dead right. You can read my mind, just like Alan Parsons can. And I in the sky is my choice. <laughs> I think that in the that mid range of Manic Street yeah. Land, when. Uh, they were in that kind of commercial mindset. I think they could really do a kind of a good rockin' version of it. And I can actually picture this now, right? It's silly because, you know, all right. But, but now I'm hearing it. I'm hearing James Dean Bradfield's vocals uh, for Eye in the Sky. So great pick, actually. Yo, actually, so here's the thing. is The, re the, the method, there's a method to my madness. Yeah. This song actually has fantastic lyrics and fantastic musical yeah, bones. potential for... Like the chords... Then why haven't the chords more are there? covered it? I don't get it. I don't understand why not. I don't either. But I'm telling you, this song is like the ultimate in coverable songs because it can fit any style. Everyone plays a mid-tempo rocker in one way or another. Yeah. And you can strip it down to just a piano like for Tori Amos. Or you could build it all up into a symphony and add horns and you could do ska versions of it and all kinds <sighs> of things. I just, it's a super, it's super convincing it really as, is. A, as a... A great bone song. And I actually didn't pick this one just to be annoying. I actually thought long and hard about what song I would put <laughs> through my season pick. Yeah. And the reason I picked this one is because universally it is a fantastic yeah. basis of any style of music. It's a great, it's a great choice. It's totally a great choice. The one person who I'd love to hear that song cover seriously yeah. is Ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think they'd be perfect for that. Especially, you know, yeah. the harder edge that they'd put into it for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Ghost would do a fantastic job cool. with it. But uh, all joking aside, I did actually put up a method to the madness this season. It, no, it makes sense. And and uh, you're 100% right. That that song has excellent material to be covered. That's why it does really surprise me, genuinely surprise me that there are more covers of it out there. And, and, and it's funny because every single time I brought it up, it hasn't been. I mean, every single one of these, I'd love to hear. Uh, me too, actually, to be honest. Uh, I'd like to even hear a surf rock cover of uh, Eye in the Sky. We never, we yeah. never covered that. Let's talk about our playlist. This is where we have five or six songs that we add to the Greatest Hits albums. Or, I don't know, maybe there's some overlap. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to start off with my playlist. First song on there, I think, is my favorite uh, Manic song, which is Ocean Spray. Oh, 
And on the surface, it feels like talking about drinking ocean spray. Like, please stay awake so we can drink some ocean spray. And then you find out the story behind it. And it's like, oh my God, this is so powerful. So who needs a skateboard and a Fleetwood Mac song when you can get right to, uh, right to the ocean spray itself? A song written by uh, James Dean Bradfield who had to visit his mom during chemo treatments and her favorite drink was ocean spray. And so he would bring that to her to give her while she was going through all that. And it's just so, like you hear that, it's like, oh my God, that's such a powerful uh, inspiration for a song. Suicide is Painless, the version I got was from the Lipstick Traces album. Of course, it adds a great hard edge to a song that always connects me to 10.35 p.m. when MASH would come on after the news. I'd have to go to bed and I'd listen to MASH from my bedroom in the other room. Okay, so yes. this brings me to a question. Yes. Very important question. Yes. What is your favorite, ma- favorite MASH episode? Oh, God, it's been a while since I've watched, like, done a watch through of it, but... God, it's hard. Like the my favorite things in that that show are are uh, most recently from the from the finale. But there was one where Hawkeye was trying to get some food shipped from his oh Adam's rib. Adam's rib. He was trying to get ribs shipped out there, and he did all this work. And then they finally got there, and just because there was such a long time to get to it, and I think choppers showed up just as they were putting the plates in front of everybody. He never got to enjoy yep. it. And that that's such a example of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adult life. Adult life. You know, you want all this stuff. Like you you try so hard to get something and then you finally get it and you don't get to enjoy it because of something else. So Okay. So my favorite yeah, is favorite? the one where uh Dr. Sidney Friedman yep. is writing his letter to Sigmund Freud. Oh, and yeah. he's there at the camp kind of taking a break. And BJ has become this uh, mythical practical joker. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's the one where he fills the air raid pit that Frank dug with water, and then he yells air raid and then falls into the water. From right. front to back, that is the funniest MASH episode for my for my money. Oh, my God. Now, I swear to God, I'm going to go – I'm going to go start a – a MASH watch through as soon as I'm done with the current show that I'm watching. To be honest with you, my wife and I watch a couple episodes of MASH every night before we go to bed. I'm now three watch throughs deep since it's been on Hulu. Oh, wow. Holy cow. So as soon as you finish one watch through, you just start over again? Yeah. We, well, once I'll be honest with you, I have a really hard time with the last couple of seasons because they get super preachy and maudlin. Yeah. Yeah. So once uh, Winchester shows up, I hunt and peck through episodes I like. <laughs> and then once I get to the end of that, then I start over. Because my favorite era is when uh, Potter's there with Radar. And Burns. And Burns is there. Yeah, yeah. It's a highlight for sure. Did you ever once think of ever offering to invite me in for a stinking Car- cup of coffee? Lousy cup of coffee. Lousy cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. For a bull session. Love it. All right. Actually, that got listed somewhere as one of the greatest monologues in TV history. Well deserved. Like I still, re- I, I may not remember it word for word, but I remember the, the gist of it. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of another TV monologue that is that powerful, that impactful. Yeah, Stooping never delivered one. He never did. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the love boat where love and adventure set sail together. <laughs> and the crabs aren't just on the table. <laughs> See you on the Lido deck. <laughs> All right. Number three is another cover. Uh, talked about this earlier. This is the day. This is the the, the cover that they included on the National Treasures uh, Greatest Hits album. Uh, do I like it when the band includes a bonus track to their greatest hits? Basically a way, like if I've got all their albums, it's a way of making me still buy their greatest hits album. And the answer is yes, if it's a banger like this. Well, we felt that way about Blues Traveler on their 25 greatest. And they added their cover of uh, that 
what it's what it's what it's oh what I what I got oh, what I got by uh, Sublime yes yeah. yeah 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 it's exactly right you know if it's a a lame bonus track it sucks especially if I don't find out till I bought their greatest hits number four for me is you stole the sun from my heart this was a secondary hit for them but this is from this is my truth tell me yours. Purely because the lyric, I've got to keep from smiling, it sends the wrong impression. Just that lyric says so much in the context of the song. Uh, it's it's great. And it's great how it goes from being a very poppy verse to a hard-edge chorus. And still keeps positive, even though the subject matter is, is uh, sad. Uh, fifth one is brand new. This is from the Ultra Vivid Lament, which I love. This this brand new album for me has gotten so many replays, like on on repeat. I've I've completely fallen in love with it, and the song "Quest for Ancient Color" is the one that jumped out early to me and has stayed up at the top of my list of this album. I totally dig it. And uh, if, if you haven't checked it out, check out that song and the rest of the album, The Ultra Vivid Lament. Him? That sounds like a title from a that sounds like a title from a wow expansion. It does, or or from a uh what was I gonna say? Like a it was something we were talking about earlier. Like it sounded like a oh a Doctor Who oh. Uh, episode. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, oh yeah. Because they're all yeah. time lords. <laughs> the ultra vivid yeah, lament. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right, Hammond. Let's hear your your top five. Okay, so my first one was Sleep Flower from Gold Against the Soul. I love this riff. And taking it out of the Manic Street Preachers makes it sound like something that could have come from any of those uh, Sunset Strip bands in the 80s. It's just big old power open chord, and it's it's riffage like you'd expect from any hair metal band. And I was in with that. That's and cool. I'm like, okay, cool. This I'm getting into this. Week. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and then uh, my second one is Mausoleum from Bible. And the music and the verse behind this is is very cool and it's very consistent. But then when the pre-chorus, it like opens up to like this huge soundscape and then the chorus makes it even bigger. I'm like, what the heck? And then it goes back to this very tight, consistent verse. And then it opens back up to the chorus and the chorus is like they're opening a book and judging how much the book you're going to see as you open it and close it. Oh, cool. All right. That's the way I pictured it. No, I like that. I like I like music descriptions that aren't musical, right? Like they you describe it visually, you describe it tangibly. I I love yeah. stuff like that. So that's I love hearing that. And then uh, Kevin Carter from Everything Must Go. This is another in a long, long line of varied guitar sounds and musical presentations. And this is when I started realizing that that the singer is the root of all of this. He's the main tent pole. Yeah. We're going to stay with MASH analogies. He's the main tent pole. <laughs> and everything else is uprooted and moved around around him to change with the times and to change with technology and to change with evolving musical creative choices. But he stays consistent. 
And I'm like, okay. So I feel like it actually, if I had known better, I would have thought they've hired a new guitar player. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then the fourth one is Black Dog on the Shoulder. This is, a, again, another change in styles. I really, really like this. And this possibly might be my favorite track of theirs. It's not It's not Led Zeppelin, uh, uh, Led Zeppelin cover, huh? <laughs> no, and it's not Zippity Doodah cover either. <laughs> right. And then the, my fifth one is To Repel Ghost. And this entire album sounds like it was recorded in 1980-something. Yeah. Steal a line from the Goldbergs. Yeah. And I found, and, and this was like, it was recorded in the ni- 1980s, and it was found by some historian and re-released <laughs> as a long-lost album, because this is such a strong album, and I really liked all of them, but I picked this one because it kind of like the, if someone say, hey, what does this album sound like? I would point them to this one. Yeah, I and it's... It's interesting because I feel like this one feels poppier than the album that um, that Bradfield said was just straight up pop. It, it, yes, I, I agree. I, this one, this one feels like it was made by that slicked out '80s kind of music factory of hair metal back in California yeah, in the '80s, yeah. where everybody was sounding kind of just churned out. But totally. this was a really good album. And the reason this doesn't fall into that kind of silliness is because the lyrics are so thoughtful and meaningful. If you just take yeah. the lyrics out, you have these really kind of heady poems that he's sharing with people. For sure. With the music, it makes them, it kind of, again, we kind of talked about this before, how it softens the blow a little bit by adding a little bit of, I don't want to call it frivolity, but you want to call it, it's like wrapping the steel fist in a ball of cotton. Uh-huh. <laughs> A gauze bandage, yeah, yeah, that's cool, cool, very cool. I love hearing that, and and again, another description that is visual and tangible. I love it. If we were to draw a graph for this one, I think for me it would be it would be a, a slope going up. I don't feel like there's an album that they released that I liked better than the album that followed it. I think that for the most part, if 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 not equally. I liked each album more than the previous. So for me, I guess. I think if I were going to draw a line, it would probably be lower at the beginning with it kind of reaching up toward the middle Uh and then dipping down a little bit near the end, popping back up. Okay. I like it. In sharp, in sharp lines. It wasn't like a, it would be very. Jagged as opposed to being a curve. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about next episode. We've already told you. It's not a surprise. We're doing the Go-Go's. Uh, Jane Whelan, Belinda Carlisle, Gina Shock, Kathy Valentine, and... Uh, the, They're producers. The, the keyboard player, uh, blonde hair, but I can't remember her name. Oh, bummer. Charlotte Caffey? Charlotte Caffey, yes. I can remember I everybody's name, but every, yeah, I know. I can remember everybody's <laughs> name, but hers for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, we're talking about them and, uh, uh, and their, their few releases for being such a prominent band, how few releases they actually put out. Yeah. It, it's funny how, it's funny how sometimes bands can throw everything at the wall and a lot of it sticks for pop culture references and yep. for cultural reasons. And then other bands can release things for, you know, 15, 17 albums, and only one or two things stick. Yeah. And then there's people who've released one song, like Rockwell, and it <laughs> continues to pop up. Right. Yeah, I mean, the Go-Go's were a four-album wonder as opposed to a one-hit yeah. wonder. But Yeah. Uh, so all, all, you know, all rules go out the door for this one for sure because four albums of material doesn't give us a lot of non-hit tracks to work with. Also, just spoiler alert, I picked Eye in the Sky again. Get out of here, really? 
<laughs> Who, which uh, which go-go would you have do the vocals? Would it be Jane or Belinda doing the vocals for that one? Uh, probably Belinda, because I think yeah. she has a more melodic voice for it. I think so, too. I like it. Uh, all right. Well, that's what's coming up next week. But between now and then, we want to hear from you. Email us at the at, uh, soundographypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the soundography on Twitter. Uh, soundography.com is going to be where you're going to find everything else, all of our previous episodes, each one of them containing beautiful show notes uh, with links to our playlists on Spotify, uh, a link where you can buy music that we recommend. I'll, I'll probably just recommend to the National Treasure. Uh, go, go with Nicolas Cage and steal a copy of National Treasure today. <laughs> Don't steal it. Don't steal it. Don't encourage crime. We're not encouraging people to steal it, no. Uh, Of course, also, you want to support the show. Don't steal the show either. Go to patreon.com and pay for it. By golly, patreon.com slash soundography. Help support the show that that we work so hard to bring you every week, Uh, please. We also give you more material. We give you extra shows like movie shows that we're going to be recording here in the next couple weeks, as well as tangible swag that goes out a couple times a year. If you love the show, well, tell other people about it. The best way to do that is by leaving a review at the place where you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or Spreaker or wherever, maybe even maybe even Spotify. I don't know. But leave a review. Let other people know how much you love soundography. That's going to do it for us. Hammond, anything to close this out? Uh, no, but I'm glad that I was manic and I feel very preach. <laughs> well, good. Welcome to the street. Uh, on behalf of Hammond Chamberlain, this is Brian Abbott saying thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time right here on Soundography. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com.